And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Welcome to this week's Why Always Us. This is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. Sam Lee and Paul Bias are here as usual. Hi, Sam. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, all good. Hello, guys. Good news for City fans to talk exactly. About. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll get uh, we'll get straight into that, shall we? You can read everything on City and more in the Athletic right now for a pound a month for six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City Pod to sign up. You'll get these podcasts without the ads as well. So sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man City Pod. And uh, obviously, Sam, uh, what you were referring to there is that uh, people <laughs> can read all about uh, how Bernardo Silva's staying at City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose it's. It's been a bit of a weird one, hasn't it? Because obviously everything Guardiola said, what Guardiola said is kind of sensible. Like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen, blah blah blah. Which is the only thing you can say. But every time he said that, it's made it's made it sound like it's really inevitable. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And obviously, like the the fact that he's not played the first two games, although obviously we talked about the kind of tactical implications of that against West Ham, and obviously now Gundogan's scored again against Bournemouth. Maybe he won't play again. Um. You know, for for a week or so, I don't know. Um, but when he came on against Bournemouth, all the City fans were like, "Oh, we got." A... I don't know if it was a kind of show this guy our appreciation, and I think and like kind of try to do all we can to convince him not to go. Yeah. Because um, obviously that was up until like Saturday afternoon. That seemed like the kind of direction he was heading. Yeah, it wasn't just when he came on as, as well, though, was it? It was every yeah, time. Well, every time he got up for a run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, during the drinks break. It was and like I I'd I'd said because of like because of how kind of dreary the second half was, that was genuinely like the biggest kind of noise in the second half. People always say, Oh, that was celebrated as like more than a goal and it wasn't. Like it never ever was. But because like nothing happened in the second half and City's fourth goal was an own goal, it was actually like the biggest thing in the second half, and that goes to show how much they wanted him and like I wrote in my article, it was kind of red alert. But I put in the article that, you know, City aren't really ready to roll over with it and it's not especially likely even though it seems like it and then kind of Paul took over and and now Ollie K took over so Paul you may as well talk about what you wrote at the start of the week yeah basically what what we got what we heard what we learned is that basically City were enough for a deal they just want to offload Bernardo um, with less than two weeks um, of the transfer window to shot. Um, and yeah, basically, all we got from the club is that they were not. Um, uh, understanding that Bernardo has this dream of, of living uh, in Spain and playing in Spain and being closer to his family, um, it was not the right time. It was not the right time because as honest as Bernardo has been with the club, I think that the club knows that Bernardo is aware of how this business works, how this industry works, and that is not like the most um, preferred option for all the sides just to do a deal so late in the transfer window. So I get that the 
I think that the club got that feeling too that that Bernardo wanted to do things right, and he wasn't up to and uh, stuff uh, with with City in a bad way. And I think that, and apart from that, that this was the information basically that we could write on Monday. Um, I think that what Pep said on Friday about Bernardo Silva was kind of revealing in terms of like. Um, he he was like really into it and like saying that Bernardo is a special guy. That one of the reasons why he's a manager is just to manage guys like 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 Bernardo Silva. I mean, it was kind of the same question and the same uh, debate than the previous week. But Pep was so keen on just digging deep, just on um, make like a further point on that and just to point out yeah how especially Bernardo for him and how bad he wants him to stay. So, yeah, I think that on that point, um, City was pretty clear of what he was going to do with with Bernardo and now it looks like it's all sorted. Does it, does it just kick the can down the road to next summer, Paul? Or is it, I mean, are we, are we going to be in this situation every summer now until Bernardo leaves? I, I think it can be... I mean, it can be a sensible option for City to start considering like agreeing a move for 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 the next window, just in case of of Bernardo doesn't want to extend his contract or he has like one hundred percent sure that he's not gonna extend his contract. That I think that runs until two thousand twenty-five. Um, I think it could be a sensible move for City, basically because they would know at the start of the window that they are going to lose like a fundamental piece for the project, but they will have enough time to find a replacement, basically, which is what the transfer window is about. Um, it is why City as a club has been successful, because they have sold players like Riroy Sane, like Raheem Sterling, that had played an important role in the past. But, I mean, football is football, and the industry is a business that you have to get on with. Um, and yeah, if if the Barcelona interest is still alive and Bernardo is still so desperate to leave, so I, I I think that it would make sense for City just to start considering that. But having said that, of course, if there's like uh, any a, a slim chance of Bernardo staying or extending the contract, of course, I'm sure that City is going to take it for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with all of this, Sam, is is even if it does kick the can down the road to next summer or the summer after or, or whenever, um, that's, that is, it's a season away. It's a long way away. Yeah, it's, yeah, you, yeah. You've got a season of this, but you've got a season of him now, at, uh, you know, for sure at City. Yeah, and like one of the things that I think I wrote about him the January kind of time and about how once, because, you know, he wanted to go last, last summer, they were working really hard on that and then it didn't happen and he kind of hugged Guardiola in a meeting and was like, right, okay, let, let's focus on the season. And obviously last season was one of his best for City. Um, so yeah, it's, it's another, you know, it, it's always best to think not too long-term when about keeping players and like just just kind of focus on the season you've got. Um, and if, if you know, you, you can be confident of him giving his best in a season where City win the Premier League and challenge for the Champions League and maybe win that, then amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that that's the point too because um, City know that Bernardo is a good professional. That I think that we have discussed it with Sam and we have said it on this podcast last, last summer when City and Bernardo were like considering their options. As soon as the transfer window um, shot, Bernardo 
shook hands with Pep and said, okay, we're going to go for the season. And I think that Bernardo has this mindset on him. He wants to play, he wants to compete, he wants to win. And City is really aware of that, that Bernardo is going to behave really well. And probably that's one of the things that make him so loved among the City fan base. Yeah, there's no. I mean, there's no sense in him being here for a season and not contributing, is there? That's the that, that that's the thing. Um, it was an interesting kind of end to um, Saturday's game, Sam, with the way that he because he did he did that thing where he applauded all four sides of the ground, and I was like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this isn't good. And then the tweet. Exactly. I, I, let, let's let's let me read the tweet because he said a great <laughs> performance from the team and a fantastic atmosphere. I would also like to thank everyone at the stadium for those beautiful moments of love and support you guys showed me. And I put that in my City fans WhatsApp group and went um, this. This isn't good. This this is not good at all. And everyone was like, "Oh, it, it, you you've made me think he was off." Then I was like, "Yeah, well, that that's what I'm reading from that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think a lot of people did like like I was saying up until Saturday afternoon, maybe even Sunday, maybe even what until Paul wrote the article on Monday. Um, it was yeah that that kind of feeling that it was it was heading in the wrong direction from a city point of view. So yeah, the the whole thing on Saturday afternoon around the game and yeah the the, the tweet after that, yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't look great, um, but again, it just goes to show kind of how kind of in limbo he was about it and has been about it, and how much he does want to go. But I suppose this is the kind of perfect way to to conduct yourself um, in terms of like how fans respond to you. And I'm not, I'm not really saying either way is right or wrong. Although I suppose you'd always want you'd always want the Bernardo ultra professionalism way. But I saw something in my replies on Saturday during the game and somebody was like, oh, are you saying Sane never got abuse, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't see what the full conversation was. But I do remember thinking Sane obviously did get a bit of, well, fuck off then. And so did Eric Garcia. Um, but obviously Sane just left, didn't he, when, at the start of, when they restarted the, the season again after COVID. And then he, he just went to Bayern, yeah. even though he couldn't play for them. He was just like, oh, I'm just going now. Um, yeah, I suppose there's there's different ways of going about it. But I suppose it's it's like being able to play in several different positions and never nailing down one. It's like if Bernardo was a bit more of a dick, he might have been able to leave. But because he's such a good guy and such a professional, he just ended up staying and playing really well and given City absolutely no reason to want to sell him because they're like, well, we're not going to have a problem if he does stay. It's not like he's going to sulk. Yeah. Does it? Does this, um, in a weird way, Paul, does it kind of affect future transfers coming to City? Because like, I, 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 I think, I do, do genuinely think City have been pretty grown up about the, the entire situation. They've accepted that, you know, there's a player there that might want to leave for whatever reason. And they, as much as they want to keep him, they won't stand in his way to, to or at least, you know, the noises publicly of we will not stand in anybody's way. Yeah. That that will that will encourage players who kind of might want to might want to come to City and then know that they that they have other other kind of ambitions in the game to move on from there and, and play elsewhere. It'll encourage them that it, that it's a quite actually quite a good place to play. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that in terms of like the city's name and the brand and the way of working that Chiki and the executive has, it only leaves them in a good place the the way that they have handled all the Bernardo situation, but also in the same time, I think that for a lot of players, City is going to be a final destination too. So I can see like a lot of players considering a move to City as like the best years of their careers and just go there and just yeah, basically and not consider about leaving again. But yeah, I think that it it, it works like both ways, even like for young players who. City may try to pursue. I think pro- probably, to, to be fair, that was a way that they 
lure, lure Holland out of Dortmund. And they just convinced him just to join Man City ahead of Real Madrid, maybe. Um, just this kind of being sensible with the business, understanding how the player is feeling and just finding the best solution for both sides. Yeah, I think that it's just a way of operating that City has made his personal brand and I think it's good for the club, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I forgot to mention as well, Sam Paul Hurst's uh, reply, which is the reason I saw the Bernardo tweet to uh, to to in the first place was that was just simple three simple words. Don't do it. It just it just made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he wouldn't have been the only one. <laughs> Would not have been the only one. Like, like we said, because we talked about this at the end of the pod the other week, and I was like, basically, the next thing City needs to sort out is just cross the fingers and hope to keep Bernardo because everybody kind of thought that if Bernardo goes and City don't replace him then kind of forget this season sort of vibe. So yeah, like we said at the start, good news. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. Find new episodes every week on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Let's touch a little bit on the uh, game with Bournemouth because, uh, Sam, I'm trying to work out um, whether it was City good, Bournemouth bad, a bit of both, whatever it is. Um, ultimately, I thought City looked a lot more cohesive than they did against West Ham. Yeah, I don't think Bournemouth were bad. I don't think it's one of those games. You know when it's like, you know when Watford lost 8-0 at City a couple of years ago? And, it was and we're just like, dreadful, yeah. Is it, is it City being good or Watford being dreadful? And like, It's normally that, but I don't think Bournemouth were bad. I mean, maybe... I was going to say unadventurous, but they weren't necessarily unadventurous. Whenever they got forward, um, they did work the overloads quite well. I think me and Paul we talked about this during the game. Like they, they, they did kind of, I wouldn't say create dangerous situations, but they put themselves in opportunities where they they may have been able to, which is probably about as much as you can do against City with a team that's just come up from the Championship. And defensively, it was that kind of thing. You know the the kind of the that they used in the roles were different to West Ham. You know, it wasn't always Walker and Cancelo either side of Rodri. But Walker was still kind of in there. Obviously, he played the ball to to Gundogan for the first goal before he gave it to Haaland and got it back. Cancelo was very wide, but that meant kind of Foden dropped in. So it was kind of similar. And my point is, the problem that West Ham had, which was, as Moyes said, if you try and close them down out wide, you're leaving spaces in the minute, you know, the spaces between your full-backs and centre-backs, which you just don't want to be doing because that's where the half-spaces open up and where City is so dangerous. But obviously, if you leave them, have it in the wide areas, then they, then they can create combinations and get balls into the box and, and you just get stretched. And obviously, like you you do the switches of play, which City do so well, and Mahrez was playing on the right, and you know 
his instant control means you've got problems and he got that guy Stacy booked after like eight minutes or four minutes or whatever it was. Like that those are the problems Bournemouth had. So I don't think it was a question of Bournemouth being bad. Certainly a question of Bournemouth not having a a team that can compete with City. Um but they you know they they did they did about as much as they could and and again when you've got a defence that's like really worried about Harlan's pace and movement, which I think it was what we saw with De Bruyne's goal. And you've got somebody like De Bruyne who can go, oh yeah, there's a bit of space. And the only way I can do it is usually outside of my boot, but I'm really good. So yeah. there we go. I'll have a go at that. What, 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 then what can you do? Yeah. Um, Paul, Sam mentioned Harlan there. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm loath to get into this, but you can sense the narrative already around the fact that it was two completed passes and eight touches and all that sort of thing. I'm not really entertaining that discussion because all three of us, I already know we think it, we, we think it's a discussion that doesn't need having. Um, but I do want to know what you kind of think about the understanding between uh, how everyone in the attack is, is is working, how every how everything is growing in the early weeks of the season. Because again, against Bournemouth, I felt like. I felt like City posed a lot more threats than they did against West Ham. West Ham was ultimately two shots, two goals, and and I don't really remember much else that City created. Bournemouth, they they had Bournemouth on the ropes for a while. Yeah, uh, I would probably, if we compare it to West Ham, I would probably put it down to, I mean, West Ham have players like Declan Rice, like Sosek, which are like European top players. Uh, quality in in that regard like playing deep waiting for city but yeah um just against Bournemouth I, I think that we could see uh, I, I mean it's a bit what what Sam was saying right now that city wasn't playing like with this um inside fullback just next to Rodri just Walker was there but I think that Cancelo was really wide open so uh Foden was like deep, dipping more inside I, I think that we could see that this this team is just ready to have a lot of weapons and a lot of yeah, just a lot of registers basically. Just a lot to, of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun <laughs> basically, and they just can switch, they can change, they can put Cancelo wide open. Cancelo can be uh, dipping inside. Just a lot of yeah, a lot, a lot of different things just to try to um, unsettle the opponent. And I think that it was too much basically for 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 Bournemouth that they did their best, but they didn't have probably the quality um, in midfield or in the centre-back just to keep the aggressivity and all the mechanisms that you need to try to stop this perfect system that Pep has assembled. Um, and yeah, I think that um, the Holland link with all that is going to keep de- developing. I, I mean, it just can get better from that point. And in the if in the uh, starting point of the relationship with Haaland, with the city system, he can grab an assist to Gundogan in the first touch that he made. I think that's uh, that's just good news for Man City. Yeah, yeah I've got I, a point. I've got I have got a quick point about the Haaland touches thing, and mm-hmm. you know, obviously, Mooney, the way you mentioned it was like I don't really want to get into that because obviously there's going to be a lot of. He only had eight touches. He doesn't well, say blah blah blah. Yeah, I'm. But- I'm just like I'm very. I'm very aware that I'm seeing people already talking. Like on a weekend where neither Haaland nor Nunez scored, I'm kind of like like who who's the failure this weekend? Do you know what I mean? Do you, you know what I mean? Well, um, I think Nunez takes that. One. Well, yeah, exactly. But like, um, it's but yeah, it's- but but in terms of the Haaland thing, like to be fair. It's it's it, it is interesting because I think in the same way that nobody's really hammered Nunes for getting sent off. I mean, look online and on Twitter, everybody's seen that video of of Anderson just kind of yeah. really lightly pushing him, like genuinely 
pathetic, really. But nobody's really hammered him because it, it's still it's early season optimism around a player, a good player signing for a good club. Everyone thinks it's going to be fine. And it was the same for Haaland because obviously there's been a few, oh, he only had eight touches. And it's one of those things where like people are, you know, people in the pubs are going, oh, he only had eight touches. You know, it's, it's one of those stats that's really kind of transcended the weekend's football. But in terms of like, all the questions um, to Guardiola and, and De Bruyne from just from the interviews I was in afterwards, he had that kind, he's got that new player optimism sheen where even, you know, even some of the journalists who you'd maybe expect to be like, a bit more jumping on it and a bit more negative about it. We're just we're kind of asking Pep saying, well, he's that good. His, his movement's really good, isn't it? Like it was just such a positive reaction. Um, and I, I don't think it's been that negative at all, certainly compared to some of the reaction um, that we talked about previously about the Community Shield. Yeah. Um, but again, the other, th- the, the, the kind of the main thing for me was if, if Foden had a pass to him, he'd have had a goal after eight minutes and everybody would have been saying, fuck me, this guy's unbelievable. Um, and then the other thing I want to say is, because you know, I said after the West Ham game, I, I, I did think that if Haaland hadn't scored, it didn't look like anybody else would. But the question about Haaland and the eight touches is, there's that stat that since like game week seven last year, Salah's been everybody's fantasy football captain. Whereas this weekend, seven million people made Haaland their fantasy football captain. And everyone was like banking on him scoring like, three goals because of this whole hysteria that we've been talking about all summer where everyone just thinks he's going to score like 50 Premier League goals and just be absolutely unreal and it's load of pressure to live up to. So you've got 7 million people. I don't know. I don't know what kind of percentage of those would be like really heavily invested in Harlem doing well and people take FPL so seriously, too seriously, whatever. And all of a sudden, if he doesn't do well, you've got people being annoyed and whatever. And it becomes more about the individual because Harlem didn't get that many points for somebody's team. But if we're looking at it in terms of how he fits into the City team, yeah, eight touches is pretty low. You know, when Foden was playing false nine, I don't think anybody playing false nine last year would have registered eight touches. But if we're talking about the movement or the assist or the fact he should have had a tap in, that's one thing. But the other thing is, the eight touches didn't slow City down. It didn't make the attack look any blunt, any more blunt than it than it has been. It's not like the kind of environment where you maybe would have expected, let's say Haaland has a bad season at City or a bad first season or worse first season than we expected. You think, okay, does it throw them off their rhythm because they've had so much control and now they're putting this guy in. How does it change? But it didn't really change. There was loads of chances. Others looked dangerous. There was spa- there were spaces opening for others, whether it was because of Haaland or, or it wasn't. Um, and it, even if Haaland himself didn't have the touches, which, yeah, eight is a bit low and, and all this other stuff. The team still work fine anyway. So, okay, we'll see. If Haaland has eight touches against Liverpool and, and City lose 4-0, then maybe we'll go bloody hell. Or, or another team that's harder than Bournemouth. But, yeah, it's it was mildly interesting, but there was so much about it. The only thing was, he finally got that chance, didn't he, just before he got taken off. And you think, here we go, and he missed it. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a reminder that literally nobody on earth scores all their chances, not even, not even this guy. Yeah. Then, yeah, then I nice. think that... I think that there's another point, and that and we spoke about it with Sam du- du- during the game when when we were watching it. Um, probably without Holland, Kevin De Bruyne wouldn't have had like the space that he had to score the goal, because like the centre backs were like too focused on just trying to stop a pass to Holland that just Kevin De Bruyne managed to have this hole um, next to Lloyd Kelly and just shoot with the outside of his boot and do like this incredible goal. So I think that's that's a good point for City as well because we could see Phil Foden flow like in a way that probably 
without a number nine that is like um, requesting all the Bournemouth defense just to put two guys just on them, ju just on him, just to focus that um, he's not doing like any, any kind of movement. I think that it allows all the other City players just to blossom in another way, basically. Yeah. Did you uh, did you both pick uh, Haaland as, as captain this weekend? I did. No, I, I changed it. I Well, the thing is, I changed, I had him all week. I was like, banker. And then Saturday morning, I got the notification two hours to the deadline. I changed it to Salah, and I was pretty happy with that. Uh, but it turns out that, uh, yeah, yeah, Liverpool are crap now. Who knows? Because I, I kicking myself, because I, I thought about Jesus as captain, and then was like, I can't, I, if everybody's got Haaland, I can't miss out on the Haaland points if everybody does the same. And then, yeah. lo and behold, I'd have had 14 more points if I'd done that. Just, just, ch just checking the table. I know this is not interesting to anybody but us three. Um, Paul... No, you, Paul, you're on 133 points. I'm on 133 points. Sam, you're on 131. We are so like, oh, okay, really close together. Interesting. So, I better yeah. not do that minus eight that I was thinking about. Anyway, <laughs> FPL chat. Because yeah. people who don't like it really don't like it. And yeah, let's, it's let's, not something I've ever really talked about publicly because I know people don't like it. But here we are. Yeah, let's uh, let's move that on. Uh, Sam, you mentioned um, about Foden passing that chance to Haaland. Um, is yeah, is that on. any bearing on why Foden came off, or is it just a case of Grealish? Others need minutes as well. The game's three 0 It's really hot day. It's half time. That sort of thing. Yeah, well, it was, it's interesting because um, Guardiola was asked about it in the press conference, and he just went, "It was tactical," and like left it there. And you think, "Oh fuck me, here we go." Like there's. And like you, you know, people will draw their own conclusions from that, and you get the feeling that Guardiola may have been happy for people to draw their own conclusions about that. Yeah, because half, half um, time's early for him to make a tactical change, yeah, yeah, especially yeah, especially at three nil. It is, but then so then at the end, I was like, Pep, you said it was tactical. What did you actually, what did you actually want to do? But then he, he gave such a kind of long and convincing answer that it does make me think. Yeah, okay. There's there's nothing there's nothing really to look into there regarding Foden. He said he said he wanted like. Grealish to make some movements. Paul, maybe you remember it better. He was like, he wanted Grealish to do certain things. But then the main thrust of it was he felt really bad about leaving Grealish out because he, he said he played awesome against West Ham. He's got the feeling that from his performances in preseason, he's ready for the season. He's ready to contribute. But he said he wanted Mares to play in the small spaces, you know, anticipating a very tight, you know, Bournemouth defence. So he went with Mares, felt bad about Grealish, um, and so took the opportunity to bring him on. And it sounds, it all sounds completely fair. Um, I, I do wonder if Foden had have not had that thing where he didn't pass it, whether it would have been so easy to bring him off at half time, or maybe the five subs things make it makes a half time sub less impactful because you've still yeah. got loads more to make. I don't know. I don't know. It, it did seem like he might have been annoyed, and that's why he took him off. But obviously, he scored afterwards anyway. So yeah, I just thought that Sterling one though at, at Burnley that time. Um... When Sterling missed the uh, he missed the open goal in the and then was a couple of minutes later was off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, um, I think there is not much to to look into, this, in my opinion. And I think that basically Pep wanted to give Grealish a platform just to, yeah, just to play good against uh, in a match that was already sorted basically, and just yeah, just give Grealish the room to boost his confidence to play well and just to yeah. I think it was basically that. Um, knowing that Pep, as he said on the press conference, he was kind of feeling bad um, by lefting Grealish out after the West Ham game. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say it was a bit like that. 
Yeah, he was just, asked about the past as well, wasn't he? And he was like, "They have to know." He was like, "Maybe in the past we wouldn't have had a striker who was there," but he's yeah. like, "They have to know that the Erling's going to be there." But the thing yeah. is, I mean, that is a fair thing to say. But like, because we, we were talking about this, and like, Jack and John came back to my house afterwards, so obviously we were like just had a few beers and watched the MD United game and the Barca game and stuff. Friends, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> good. Um, but but and Jack was like, "Oh, like Harland was behind him," and I was like, "Fuck off, behind him!" Like. Even if you didn't think Haaland was going to be there, you know somebody's going to be attacking the back post because it's City. You know these movements. You get in these positions. Like there was kind of, there was kind of no defence for not passing. Um, and like, and the funny thing is, judging by what Haaland has been saying anyway, and I, I didn't see loads and loads of his stuff at Dortmund, but the way he talks about assists and the way that, in fact, other people have talked to me about how he wants to give assists and has done since he was back in Norway, I think Haaland would have passed that in his position. In, in Foden, if Haaland had been in Foden's position, I think he would have passed it because he, he does seem to, to love doing that. So, yeah, bad decision, but look, it happens. And I, I'm sure Guardiola would have said to him, you look, you've got you've to make that a pass. And then if there's a documentary out about this season, next, this time next year, they'll, they'll cut that bit out. <laughs> um, De Bruyne Paul um, he he feels like he's really growing into this season He was if he was in first gear or, or maybe even reverse against Liverpool um, he, he kind of moved up into second for, for West Ham uh, he feels like he just kind of stepped it up a little bit for, uh, for, for Bournemouth didn't he? Yeah 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 I think he is I mean it's been probably always difficult to get De Bruyne on his best form at the start of the season because he needs games he needs minutes under his belt just to perform at the best level, but I think that this season is like another whole story. I mean, he has started like in his best shape. Um, I think that right now, well, he is the best midfielder on the Premier League, but right now in terms of form, he's like really, really good, really, really sharp. He knows it. Um, yeah, and I think it's just amazing for City, basically. And I think that it was good for him uh, as well um, to to be promoted as a captain. Um, to end up second, like on the rotation that the team did last week, I think it's gonna. I mean, it's good for his confidence. He enjoys being a captain. He for for what I know, he likes to represent this team, and I think it's gonna be a good thing for him uh, as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm interested in um, that kind of responsibility because, it, like, it's. It's odd for him. I don't mean this in a in kind of like a disparaging way, Sam. But it's odd that he starts the season well because there always seems to be something. Do you know what I mean? There's always an injury, although like last season was it last season there was COVID, or was it the season before there was COVID? There's always seems to be something that gets in the way, and I'm just wondering now, like how how important it will be for City to to kind of maximise this potential of De Bruyne being in form at the start of the season, given that a Liverpool have started as as badly as they have mm. done, and uh, and City have, have started as well as they have. Yeah, Guardiola said after the game, he, he he referenced the last couple of seasons and how they dropped a specific amount of points and then you had to catch up. Um, and obviously now they've, they've started well. There's no guarantees that they're not going to drop points in the next few games. But obviously the fixture list isn't too bad. They seem to have started really well. Haaland scoring, other players are scoring. Yeah, And like you say, De Bruyne... It, it's funny, isn't it, the Liverpool thing? Because I remember I only, I only wrote one thing about pre-season and it was the... Uh, Club America game and obviously Harle- um, De Bruyne scored both goals but I didn't want to read too much into a friendly but Guardiola said he'd been you know so sharp in pre-season and talked about last year how he wasn't there like you've mentioned um, and I was like well that's that's kind of the big take 
to go into the season. And obviously against Liverpool, he did look rusty as hell. And I've, in fact, Rodri was another player I kind of noticed from the Club America game, he looked good. But then he wasn't against Liverpool and you think, okay, I was just going to go. But they both started the season brilliantly. Yeah, you've got De Bruyne in himself feeling brilliant. And as Paul said already, and as people will have surely noticed, like there's just there will be more space. If, if Haaland's making the run behind, the defence are going to go with him. You know, Mikhail Antonio said on Five Live last week, he didn't think he was going to get, he didn't think Haaland was going to get that pass from Gundogan to win the penalty. And when we spoke to De Bruyne in the mixer and they said, has anything surprised you? He was like, I didn't know he was that quick. He was, And he said exactly the same thing as Antonio. He was like, I didn't think he was going to get that pass against West Ham and he did. And when I spoke to Nadam about the West Ham game, he was saying, he was like, those defenders really respect that pass, don't they? Because he was like, every time they've got to go with him. And so you've got this thing where yeah, De Bruyne was able to score that goal. And I asked De Bruyne, I was like, were you thinking when you got the ball, would you look for Erling or would you go for a shot? I think he said he was looking for Erling at first, but then obviously and he was being shown out wide. And he said, for whatever reason, the defender kind of showed me the space inside. So so I took it kind of thing. But it's just an example of teams either being forced back because they're keeping an eye on Haaland or, and De Bruyne having the ball, or teams being forced back because they're keeping an eye on Haaland and the ball will just get played to De Bruyne in space on the edge of the box and he can have shots or make passes and whatever. So it's a pretty, yeah, it is a pretty like dangerous combination there. Yeah. Whichever way you look at it. Vic Torinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, let's uh, let's kind of round up the Bournemouth game with um, a very brief word on uh, Rico Lewis because um, I'm oh, yeah. wondering I, I'm wondering Paul if he's effectively benefited from the five subs law change because uh, like pre- previously maybe he wouldn't have got on. Um, so like, what, yeah, yeah. What, what what did you make of him when he came on? Yeah, yeah, he definitely is going to benefit from that. Just as Josh Wilson and Esbrand, I guess, and Cole Palmer for sure. Um, I think he was good. He was great, and for what I'm hearing, uh, Pep lost him. Um, he's a guy that um, he's. A, I mean, he's really good as a rider, but he's really good as well, like cutting inside, playing as an extra midfielder. Um, he's kind of a Philip Lamb pro- profile, and I don't want to put. I don't want to say that he's going to be the next Philip Lamb, but just to if you want to figure out which kind of type of player he is, he's like a fullback that can adapt to several roles, and that's why basically Pep loves him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, he's one for the future because he's so young, um, and the fact of having impressed um, the the first team staff just speaks volumes of him, and I think that, yeah, basically for, for the setup that City has on the squad, I think that he's going to be on the first team and that he's going to um, be quite comfortably like in several squads 
for for games this season. For this season. Um, Sam, I, I think, I'm going to need listeners' help on this one, but I think he's broken the Premier League record for the highest shirt number. There we go. Okay. Uh, no, no shirt numbers are your thing, aren't they? So you go with that. In fact, in fact, shirt numbers are very much Paul's thing. He could tell you like any player's shirt number in yeah. like, what the top yeah, two yeah. divisions. Do we say two top two? Yeah, top uh, championship can be a bit tougher, but yeah, Premier League comfortably. Yeah. All right. Well, so has the, has there been a higher than than, than an eighty two? I think that Makati was wearing like a higher number. Oh well, yeah, was he eighty seven? Yeah. yeah, I think he was last season. Yeah. Oh, well, there we go. Are we then. talking Premier League? Yeah, Mackety I was, I, Premier I, League, I, I was talking ah, Premier League. Okay, okay. Well, well, didn't he play in the Premier League? I think he did play some minutes. Yeah, he played against Everton, didn't he? Yeah. In like October, oh, oh, November time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Gary Neville said said that quote that, oh, that they all look like clones. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it might be James McAtee then. There we go. I yeah. Um, just on, on transfers then to uh, to finish, because obviously we, we dedicated a good part of the show at the start to Bernardo. Um Sam Sergio Gomez has arrived. Um, how involved is he likely to be? Do you think is he because there was talk that he was going to be uh, like a developmental player who would who would move away? Then obviously City didn't go out and get their uh, any other left back choices, so now he's being kept around the squad. Is is that more precautionary, or is he going to be uh, be fairly involved? I'm not sure they know. I think. And it's, I think so. Guardiola was fairly open about it in the embargo bit on Friday, as far as I remember. He he did say, you know, that the, I think I think this is what he said. I, I'm I'm not conflating it too much with the the general understanding we had, but what he was saying was, you know, we were looking around, but as soon as oh, I can't remember what it was, but but basically, yeah, there is. It's not like he's he's fully ready. It's not like they deem him fully ready. And the interesting thing is, kind of City as a club. So if we can say the kind of spokesman element, so the, the the comms department and stuff, they were very, they were stressing very much, like even like last week, that, okay, we're signing Gomez, but it doesn't mean we're not looking for another left back. So that's kind of like unofficially official or officially yeah. unofficial, yeah. whichever way you want to look at it. But yeah, they've obviously gone, there's just not that much out there in terms of value, in terms of quality. I thought that might be, well, I didn't think that might be the case overall but based on the article we did where we just looked at like data profiles of players similar to Kukurea I looked and we thought there's not not a lot of options here there's nobody really stands out but I do, I do enough, like that Brighton like, have got after one that you that you name check yeah well well yeah so so Mark Carey our data guy kind of used all his algorithms and whatever to come up to players similar to Kukurea and there was like a list and it was like ranked by percentages and top was Purvis de Stupinian from Villarreal and he's gone to Brian as as the replacement for Kukurea. So fair play to that data. I'll, I mean, even I'll take it more seriously now. Yeah. But yeah, looking C- at that list, C- I just City, thought City, really go- City can look at not signing him next summer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, he went for what, 18 million euros or something now? So yeah, 60 million next year and he's and he's cities. Um, but yes, but um, in terms of Sergio Gomez, they're not really 100% sure. But I mean, from what, and uh, there's definitely going to be things to iron out. He's only really been playing full-time as a left-back for the last year. So obviously you're going to be thinking straight off the bat there's going to be kind of defensive weakness. Um, but he's he is pretty exciting. I, I I saw some videos and some some clips last week and I was speaking to a mate who watches a lot of youth team football and he saw him playing. Because when England won the under-17s World Cup with Foden in it and Sancho, um, and all the others like Spain were 
the the beaten finalists, and then I think it was the under seventeen Euros, and and Spain beat England, and you know Ferran Torres was up front, but like Sergio Gomez was up front. He was he was in the forward line as well, and he still plays on the right wing for Spain's under twenty ones and scores goals. I mean, his crossing, from what I can tell, is pretty good. Like low crosses across the box, kind of like did remind me of Sane a bit. And again, like Paul was saying before, I just want to kind of put that pressure on someone. But in terms of the, the kind of style of that pass, he's got to hit in crossfield passes, um, obviously very attacking instincts. Uh, it is a very, very interesting one. And it might be, it might just be one of these things where, you know, if if one of the fullbacks gets injured, then he's, he's straight in. Because yeah. Cancelo would have to go right back if it was Walker. And they'd have to play left back. And maybe it ends up being a bit rusty. But... You know, it depended on the fixture list as well. If if City are playing against teams that aren't that difficult, he might get away with some of that rust, and he might thrive and you know be you know really like an attacking threat and all this kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it could not necessarily go either way. But he's not ready to plug and play like Kukurea would have been. But it does have this kind of huge upside, and yeah, it's a fascinating one. Yeah, per, per loves a fullback that's not a fullback, doesn't he, Paul? Especially on the left side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now, I mean, Sergio Gomez is like trying to be a fullback. I mean, he's trying to co- co- convert himself into a fullback. Well, um, Pep also had this quote on Friday's press conference, which was quite telling about all the conversions that he has done uh, to attacking midfielders to fullback, because he said that Johan Cruyff used to tell him that if you make a winger become a fullback, he's going to be the best, full- the, the best fullback in your team. So if you can adapt one forward player and teach him how to defend, it's going to be the best player possible. So maybe that's kind of the approach that um, the career of Sergio Gomez has taken, basically. And yeah, I think I think that keeping him on the squad, as Sam was saying, probably was a handy thing to do for City because they. I'm not sure City could loan him out to Girona because they have already three players loaned out in, in there. So that, 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 that there's a maximum. And Sergio Gomez couldn't be there, um, and I think that given like the situation that City has on the first team squad, it makes sense just to have Sergio Gomez in there. Um, for what I know, Josh Wilson, Esbran, I, I think that we have well covered this and we have written this, is highly re- regarded within the backroom staff. But uh, as Pep said uh, as well, like the big injuries that he's had in the like, last two years, just makes the fact of having Sergio Gomez handy. Plus, is a guy that. He's desperate to be at Man City. He loves being here. He loves the challenge. Um, he's going to be h- hungry, like at the training yeah. sessions. He's going to be like desperate for involvement. So the, pi- the pictures he tweeted as well, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I-, I mean, I guess that for all the City fans, that ki- that has to be like kind of exciting. Yeah, um, it's, I, it's interesting, Sam, as well. That, like, I'd not even thought about Wilson Esbrand. If if he was fit and. Um, Gomez was fit at the same time, and they had an injury problem. Which do you, do you reckon there's a there's a toss up between the two, or do you reckon Guardiola's got a firm idea which way he would yeah. go? I think I think it'll be Gomez. Um, I think it it will be Wilson Osbran. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Gomez. So my mate who I was talking to, he was like, um, because I guess I wouldn't because I don't think there's much difference between Wilson Esbrand and and Gomez. I was like, in fairness, Gomez played. Okay, it's Belgium, so you wouldn't say, well, it's not one of the top five European leagues. But he's played two seasons in La Liga. So I'm thinking, in terms of top-level experience, he's got it, and Wilson Esbrand hasn't. And also, I don't know, look, Pep's brother is um, Gomez's agent. 
oh, maybe that counts for something. Maybe it doesn't. But between that and his experience, I, I would say I would say Gomez. And also, like he's talking, he's talking about the injuries with Wilson Esbrand. But I, I suppose I suppose it's just a case of being prudent. But I kind of feel like if you were going to give minutes and opportunities to a player that you weren't sure about but did highly rate you may as well go with the one that's from your academy that you've already got so that's why I'm thinking that's going to go with the guy they bought rather than the guy that they've chosen not to play but I guess we'll I guess we'll find out yeah Paul what was yeah. what was making you swing the other way no basically my point was like if if Cancelo let, let, let's hope it doesn't happen but if Cancelo gets injured then he cannot play uh, at Newcastle my guess would be that Josh Wilson would play because he, um, okay, he has been through like tough injuries, but he has been training under Pep Guardiola at Man City for more than one year. Um, he knows what it is like to um, follow what Pep's demands on a fullback. Um, he's used to de- defend like players like Mares, like Foden on training. Um, he is used to that standard. And as long as they want to be careful with him. I mean, if he's fit, he is able to play. So if they have a left-back issue for the coming game, I think that he has done the precision with, with the team. He has like more time, basically, under Pep Guardiola. And I think yeah. that that will make the difference for him. Yeah. Um, Sam, I wanted to finish this week's show with um, something you mentioned to me about uh, what it, the mix zone after the uh, the game against Bournemouth, uh, just because of the, the the kind of the atmosphere in there. Given um, that it, it just so happened to be happening at the time when United were falling apart at uh, yeah. well in their game. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've kind of people be like, "Are oh, you looking forward to the new season?" i be like, "No, not really," but just. Because like, oh, it's it's a job now, and blah, they're all the same, blah blah blah. But like, since the season started, I've been like bang into it. It's been great, and I've always said, but if there's a crisis at a club, I find it absolutely fascinating, and I'm just a proper ghoul for it. Like, you just know there's going to be so many articles about what's going on here, what's going on here, and obviously when it's United, it's a United crisis is just so much bigger than any of the others. Um, and so it was Guardiola's press conference and they were either 1-0 down or 2-0 down I can't remember by the time the press conference had finished so then went into the mix zone and everyone was like oh I was like what was the goal like was it bad and they were like oh yeah shock obviously the De Gea one so like we were like looking at each other's phones to, to see the goal and stuff and I think while we were in there waiting because you, if you've ever been in the tunnel club or just remember the kind of literature from when it came out you know it's it's below ground it's glass and you can see into the into the mix zone. Um, so there's like sponsors hoardings, but you can still kind of see in. And then well, as it was 2-0 already, we could hear the cheers and then you could just about make out from the screens, Brentford players celebrating. You're like, fucking hell. Well, obviously now everyone's had a, a few days to kind of get used to the fact that Brentford beat United 4-0. But when it was like 3-0 in the first half, it was what the hell's going on? And I really wanted to ask, or really thought about asking De Bruyne or saying to him as he walked away after the, the mix. I was going to say, do you know Brentford are beating United three 0 Just to kind of be like, see what his reaction would be, but I didn't. And then just just kind of hanging around a bit more, and then you hear more cheers, and you look at the screen again. You see Brentford players celebrating. You think this is just absolutely wild, um, and just it's just great. Like, and, and I know City fans will kind of enjoy listening to this because it's United being shocking, but like, just the way that football's kind of 
Oh, I don't want to use the phrase brings everyone together, but you know, everyone just, you, you know, you can go on Twitter, you know, you can you know, speak to anyone. If you know, if you're at a football stadium, like we were, especially with other people who were into football, like it's just, it's just brilliant. Isn't it? Like the big shocking results like that are fantastic. And obviously the, the Chelsea Tottenham game was great for that as well. And I know the old Conte meme of just one normal day of Barclays, but it's just so <laughs> true, isn't it? Like I, I know like, Everyone's like, oh, it's overrated or whatever the Premier League, but it's it's so good. Like, it, it really is good. It always does deliver. Um, and yeah, just Saturday afternoon when, you know, boiling hot, City had just won. Brentford were like 4 0 up against Man United, just as we're kind of wrapping up our work and stuff. It was just kind of one of those, this is just all mad kind of, kind of scenarios. And I'm sure everybody really enjoyed their own experiences of seeing the scores come through wherever they were. The the only thing in all of this, Paul, as Sam was speaking, then I was thinking, um, actually, City City have done a really good job then at the start of this season of just controlling the chaos, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have. I mean, they have won two games. Not in, I mean, not the West Ham one probably, but in somehow an effortless manner, right? I mean, that they could control both both teams and they didn't look like to struggle too much. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of good um, to see that City is doing this well in the Premier League than that other teams are like struggling, basically. Yeah, roll on the trip to Anfield, see how that, see how long that lasts. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the end of this week's Why Always Us. Thank you, as ever, to Sam Lee. Yeah, cheers. And Paul Bias. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic right now for a pound a month for six months. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.